We are in the middle of chapter 42, this incredible chapter that allows us to realize that an experience of Hashem, which is true and palpable and tangible, is completely available to each of us. And the altar started off by saying that because we have this aspect of Moshe within us, and he himself is rooted in Hashem's Da'at, that influences our soul that we can connect to Hashem in a way that we actually see things with our eyes. And he did tell us, he warned us, he said it's going to take a doubled and redoubled effort. It requires tremendous exertion, exertion of the body and exertion of the soul. But then we segued into another meditation and that didn't take such tremendous effort. The meditation was simply realizing that we have a treasure in our heart that we can access. If we know that there is something hidden that we just have to dig deeply for, we can get it. And we have to think about the fact that Hashem sees everything about us. He sees our thoughts, our speech, and our deeds, and he knows our intentions. And while that requires focus, we have to think about it. We can't just have it as a passing thought and then just go back uh, about our business. Still, it doesn't require the exertion of the soul and exertion of the flesh, the same kind of the exertion as the first meditation required. The first meditation was a meditation to get us to realize the greatness of Hashem, a real relationship as if we see it with our eyes. The second meditation was just to realize that Hashem is watching us. And that didn't require such a tremendous effort. It just requires focus and it requires time. And Alter Rebbe said, you have to think about the words of our sages quoted in the Mishnah. Think about three things, or actually it means look at three things. And they say look because you have to focus on it. You can't just kind of think about it and then go about your business. Look at three things that you won't come to sin. Know what is above you. An eye that sees and an ear that hears. And the Mishnah ends and all your deeds are recorded in a book. Now the altar was going to say one second. Eye that sees, ear that hears, he doesn't have a body. And this is what we're addressing right now. And although he has no bodily likeness, how then can we possibly say that God possesses an eye and an ear, organs that are part of a physical body? So this is a question that is addressed by Maimonides right in the beginning of his work of Mishnah Torah and Hilchas Yosef Yehetera. And he speaks about terms that the Torah uses like Hashem's strong hand, his finger. And he explains to us that, of course, it's just figurative language so that we can relate to it. You know, we're so stuck in our own framework that if Hashem were to speak to us in the actual reality of how it is by the divine, it would be meaningless to us because we can't relate to it. So instead, the Torah addresses us in the language of man so that we can relate to it, even though it's not perfect, because that's not exactly how it is by Hashem, of course, but it gives us some way to relate to it. Otherwise, we have no way to relate to it. We have to move out of our framework. To move out of our physical framework is basically impossible because we are confined to physicality and we can't see past that. There is a story, a, a mushal, an analogy of when they had just invented the, the train. And, you know, every time there's a new revolution, we were just talking about AI, like the industrial revolution, you know, something changes, people are like, no way, it can't be, there's not, we're not going to need horse and buggy, we're not going to need the horsemen and the carriages, they can't believe it, we have to see this for ourselves. So they go and see, and they're like, there has to be a horse somewhere, and they examine, and they examine, they don't see any horse, and they're like, okay, there's no horse, there's no way this crazy 
carriage is taking off. I mean, it's supposed to carry a thousand people. There's no horses connecting to it. There's no way on earth that this huge train, this, this huge wagon is taking off. All of a sudden the bellows of smoke go and boom, the train is off and running. They're like, we can't believe it. The next time a train comes here, we're going to examine the train and see where the horses are. There has to be a horse here. And finally, the next train comes and they're looking and they're looking and they don't see a horse. And one guy is determined, I'm going to find the horse. And he looks and he looks and he comes back and he says, wow, that is a powerful, tiny horse. <laughs> and they said, horse, you saw the horse? And he said, no, I didn't see the horse. But in order for that carriage to take off, I can assure you that there is a powerful, tiny horse hidden within the wagon. He couldn't get out of his own framework. And that's us. Like we're trying to relate to an eye that sees and an ear that hears because we can't get out of our physical framework. And this is what Maimonides addresses in Hilchas Yisai de Hatira. And he says like this, he starts, this is in the first chapter, and I'm going to bring, read brief sentences from the eighth and ninth halachot. He says, behold, it is explicitly stated in the Torah and the works of the prophets that the Holy One, blessed be he, is not confined to a body or a physical form. If so, what is the meaning of the expressions employed by the Torah? Below his feet, written by the finger of God, God's hands, God's eyes, God's ears, and the like. I mean, what does it mean? Hashem doesn't have a physical form. He's not confined to a physical body. All these expressions were used to relate to human thought processes, which know only corporeal imagery. For the Torah speaks in the language of man. They are only descriptive terms as apparent from the Torah. I will wet my lightning sword. Does he have a sword? Does he need a sword to kill? Rather, this is metaphoric imagery. Similarly, all such expressions are metaphoric imagery. A proof of this concept. One prophet says that he saw the Holy One, blessed be he, clothed in snow white. Levushe kislag chiver. This is the prophet Daniel. And another, this is the prophet Yeshai, envisioned him coming with crimson garments from Batra. Moshe, our teacher, himself envisioned God at the Red Sea as a mighty man waging war. And at Mount Sinai, he saw him as the leader of a congregation wrapped in a talit. This shows that he has no image or form. All these are merely expressions of prophetic vision and imagery. And the truth of this concept cannot be grasped or comprehended by human thought. This is what the verse in Eov states. Can you find the comprehension of God? Can you find the ultimate balance of the Almighty? So looking at the Rambam, we understand that all these expressions really don't mean anything literal. It's just a way for us to relate to it. So when we want to say that Hashem is acting strong, we talk about the strong arm of Hashem. When we want to intimate that Hashem knows what's going on, we talk about his eyes. When we want to say that this is the handiwork of Hashem, we talk about the finger of God. But all of these expressions essentially don't mean that. They mean something so that we can relate to it. So to say strength or awareness, we are talking about physical form, but of course they don't mean anything. However, in Kabbalah, there is a concept of a spiritual likeness of the body as it were. Okay, so of course Hashem has no body. But if you look at Pasach Eliyahu, and this is in the Tikkuni Zohar, Chased Draya Yamina, Chased is the right arm. Gvura draya smala. Gvura is the left arm. He's talking about the different attributes and what part of the body they correspond to. Of course, Hashem has no physical form. 
but he has contracted himself so as to relate to the universe within the ten sefirot. And the ten sefirot correspond to the human body, as it were. This is the vision of Yechaskel, where he says, And on the likeness of the throne, there was a likeness like the appearance of a man. Of course, Hashem does not appear like a man. Hashem has constricted himself to be within ten sefirot, which correspond to the human body. And just like the human body is more than 10 parts, it's actually 248 limbs. The 10 wrote more specifically are broken down into 248 limbs, as it were, and it corresponds to the divine man. So there is, so to speak, a divine man. And the altar here is saying, Gam ki even though he doesn't have any bodily likeness, which means that, yes, Hashem has constricted himself to relate to creation, to be within these tents if he wrote and have, as it were, the likeness of a man. But he essentially transcends that. He, of course, is beyond any description, definition, limitation. In his essence, he is beyond that. And even though he is beyond that in his essence, and ain't like he has no likeness of the body, still, even in that space, he chooses to care about our actions. When we're talking about Hashem sees everything I think, speak, do, Hashem knows the intentions of my heart, it doesn't just mean at that space where he has constructed himself to relate to, relate to creation, it even means at that place where he has not yet contracted himself, where he has no likeness of the body, even there, our actions matter to him. And even there, he sees and knows all of our ways. And that is tremendous. That means that Hashem really cares about us. That means that we matter not just at a low place, we matter really to Hashem's essence. So, and although he has no bodily likeness, how can we possibly say that God possesses an eye, an ear, organs that are part of a physical body? On the contrary, meaning this is the very reason that everything is revealed and known to him, him infinitely more than, for example, through the physical medium of sight or hearing. When we say that God does not possess any bodily likeness, we mean that he is not bounded by the frailties of a physical body. A physical eye can observe corporeality but not spirituality. It can see only when there is adequate light and only up to a given distance and so on. Physical hearing is likewise limited. Hashem's seeing and hearing, however, possess only the merits of these faculties, but none of their physical limitations. For it goes without saying that any quality possessed by created beings is surely possessed by their creator. So we're saying, okay, just in the simple meaning of the text, God has no eye, God has no ear. So what does this mean? What does David HaMalch write and tell him? He says, does the one who implants an ear, doesn't he hear? If he's the one who forms the eye, doesn't he see? Of course he sees. The way we see, the way we hear, is with our physical eyes and ears. Hashem is not limited to physical eyes and ears. His way of seeing and hearing is so much more powerful because he has all the advantages of physical seeing and hearing 
and none of the disadvantages of physical and hearing. So the fact that he doesn't have any eye or any ear physically is actually an advantage. It means that his seeing and hearing is all the more powerful. And then the author is going to say something incredible. And till we get to this point, let me just introduce. You know, how do we know about things? So usually it's because we've seen it or we've heard about it. So originally we were not aware of it and then we've become aware of it and now it's like knowledge that's become appended to us. And the way the Alter Rebbe writes in Shari Yechud Muna, this is in chapter 7, he says, When a man studies a subject and knows it, his rational soul was already within him before he studied and knew it. And afterwards, this knowledge was added to his soul. And so day after day, they speak meaning instruct a person and a multitude of years teach wisdom. This is not a simple, meaning perfect unity, but a composite. So when we come to see or hear about something, this is knowledge that comes to us, that's become added to us. We existed before the knowledge, and then it became added to us. How did it become added to us? Because we saw it or we heard about it. There's another way that we know about things. What if you're like cooking dinner one day, humming a tune in your own thoughts, and then all of a sudden your little one comes ramming into you from behind? You didn't see her. How did you know that she bumped into you or ran into you? You didn't see it. You didn't hear about it. You felt it because it was happening to you. When something happens to a person's body, it's a much stronger awareness than just seeing it or hearing about it. This is inherent and automatic knowledge. When something happens to a person, they feel it instantly and inherently. It's part of them. They don't have to have the bridge of seeing or hearing in order to get to know about it. It's knowledge of their own self. And that's what the Altar is going to say now. Not only is Hashem seeing and hearing much more powerful, because it's not limited to the physicality of the physical eye or the physical ear, it's a whole different quality of knowledge. It's like the knowledge that we have of something that happens within our own selves. By way of illustration, God seeing and hearing, and the fact that everything is revealed to him and known by him, are like a man who knows and feels within himself all that is happening to and being experienced by each of his 248 organs, such as cold and heat. If somebody's finger gets into boiling water all of a sudden, they don't need someone to tell them that they got hurt. They know they got hurt. It's an automatic response because they feel what's happening to them. Feeling even the heat in his toenails, for example, as when it is scorched by fire. So if somebody's toenail, which is a very insensitive part of the body, the lowest part of the body. It's in the foot. It's the toenail. If it gets scorched by fire, a person feels it because it's part of him. So also their essence and substance, meaning not only is a person aware of all that is happening to his organs, he also feels his organs themselves. You're aware of your body. You're aware of your hands and your feet. They're part of you. 
That's the way Hashem knows everything. And this is a completely different kind of knowledge. And the Rebbe notes that actually the word seems to be a typo and it should be mayhem. So I'll read it again. And all that is affected by them is known to the person and sensed in his brain. One not need to use his eyes or ears to see, or what, see what is happening to his limb of his body, such as the pain of a burned hand or foot, for he knows and senses it in his mind. For us, it's very different, though, and that's what the altar was going to say coming up. Because how do we know that someone bumped into us? How do we know that the finger wasn't in, in hot water? How do we know that? Because we're affected by it. Because we're affected by it, we know it. If we wouldn't be affected by it, then we wouldn't know it. We would know it the same way we know about things that are happening around us. The same way we can see or we can hear that this is happening. So we can see and we can hear that something was happening to our very own body. But because we're affected by it, the knowledge is much more powerful. When it comes to Hashem, He is not affected by that. And we're going to explore that in depth. But just to, to draw the line, to say that there is a distinction. Yes, Hashem knows everything that's happening in the world the same way we know everything that's happening in our body. But we are affected by it and Hashem is not. In a similar manner of knowledge, by way of analogy, God knows all that befalls all created beings of both higher and lower worlds because they all receive their flow of life from him. As it is written, from you come all things. Just as the brain, which is the source of life for the whole body, knows what transpires within it, so too does God, the source of all life, know what is happening with all of creation. It all comes from him. He knows what's happening. You know, we were talking about coming to this awareness of the fact that Hashem is right in front of us. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're saying. He knows what we're doing. He knows our intentions. And we were thinking about an eye that sees and an ear that hears in order to make it real to us. But actually, Hashem's knowledge is beyond the knowledge of an ear or an eye. His knowledge is like the knowledge of knowing what's going on in our own body. When we think about something, Hashem has an inherent and automatic knowledge of that. The same way that when someone puts their finger in boiling water, they have an automatic and inherent knowledge of that. Hashem knows everything that's happening instantly. Instantly and inherently, it's part of him because his knowledge is a completely different kind of knowledge. And this is the meaning of what we say, and this is in Rosh Hashanah Musaf Davening. And no creature is hidden from you, inasmuch as all created beings emanate from him. As Maimonides, speaking as a philosopher, has said, and this has been agreed to by the scholars of the Kabbalah, as Rabbi Moshe Cordovero writes in Pardes, that by knowing himself, as it were, he knows all created things whose source of existence is his true existence. And let me read you the words of the Rambam. This is from the Rambam Hilchas Yisedi Hatera, excerpted sentences from chapter 2. 
And he says, All existence came into being from the influence of his truth. Since he knows himself, he knows everything. So everything comes from him. Everything exists because of Hashem's truth. And since he knows himself, he knows everything and nothing is hidden from him. The Holy One, blessed be he, recognizes his truth and knows it as it is. Thus, he does not recognize and know the creations in terms of the creations as we know them, but rather he knows them in terms of himself. Thus, he knows, since he knows himself, he knows everything. And I think this is just such a powerful thought to sit with. We're talking about Hashem's awareness of everything that we do. The way that he's aware of it is the same way that we're aware of something that is happening within ourselves. It's an automatic and inherent knowledge. Hashem's knowledge is so all-encompassing because we come from him. Everything comes from the truth of his existence. It's all a part of him. And when we think, speak, or act, when we have intentions in our heart and our kidneys, Hashem knows it automatically in a much more powerful way than somebody would know through hearing or seeing. In our own experience, it's like us knowing that our own finger is touching boiling water. Pretty incredible. So let's summarize up everything what we said until now, and then we're going to move into this next section. And we said like this. Yes, Hashem doesn't have a physical eye or an ear, but actually his knowledge is much more powerful. First of all, he doesn't have the limitations of the physical eye and the physical ear that we have. Our ears can only hear so much. You know, those noises that they play that drive their teachers crazy because only kids under 20 can hear it, but over t- people over 20 can hear it. So they're like playing a noise and people are like, ah! And the teacher's like, why are you guys all screaming? <laughs> There's the physical limitation of the ear. There's the physical limitation of the eye. Hashem doesn't have those physical limitations. But beyond that, his way of knowledge is way beyond the knowledge of seeing and hearing. His way of knowledge is knowledge of our own self. It's inherent and automatic. He knows it right away because it's part of him. Now the author was going to say, there's a big difference between Hashem's knowledge of himself, as it were, by knowing creation, by knowing himself, he knows creation and our knowledge of ourself because we are affected. Hashem is not affected. However, God provides creation with life in a different manner than the manner in which the soul provides life to the body. The soul must garb itself in the body in order to provide it with life. By doing so, it is affected by the body. For in clothing implies that the clothed object undergoes a change. God, however, is of course not subject to change when he provides life to creation. Hence, Raksha Mashozeh, Enei Ela L'shakech Es Ha'aizen, this analogy of soul and body, however, is only to calm the ear, to make it possible for man's ear and intellect to perceive how one may know about something without actually having to see it or hear it. In truth, however, the analogy of soul and body bears no similarity at all to the, to the analog of godliness and creation. So again, the reason why we know about it is because we're affected by it. If we wouldn't be affected by it, we wouldn't know about it. Hashem knows about it intimately, deeply, and in every single detail. It's an all-encompassing knowledge, and yet he is not 
affected by that knowledge. Let's look at the human experience. Ki nefesh ha'adam, afilu ha'sichles va'elekis, hi mispa'eles mim oyre ha'guf v'tza'arei. For the human soul, even the rational and divine soul is affected by the events which transpire with the body and its pain by reason of its, the rational and divine souls, being actually clothed within the vivifying soul, meaning the soul which provides the body with physical life, which in turn is clothed in the body itself. So we understand that when a first person feels pain, of course, their vivifying soul feels the pain. Their vivifying soul is intimately involved with the body. It's a spiritual entity, but it has physical properties. It's what feels tired or hungry. So it's so intimately connected with the body. Of course, when a person feels pain, their vivifying soul is affected by it. The Alter Rebbe in a Hasidic discourse in Terah R says like this, Haguf misachedem hanefesh. The body fuses with the soul and the soul acts upon it as it desires, as though the body was its very own essence and identity. So we understand that the vivifying soul is affected by the body. Here the Alter Rebbe, interestingly enough, talks about three souls. Normally throughout Tani, the Alter Rebbe talks about two souls. There's the divine soul and there's the animal soul. Here he's talking about a third soul, a rational soul. So let's start from the bottom up. The animal soul is the human biological soul. It's what makes us part of the zoo. It's just what gives us the same bodily functions, but in a human form as the animal. So we eat, we're drink, we're tired, we're thirsty, uncomfortable. All those things are functions of the animal soul, the vivifying soul. Then there's the rational soul. The rational soul is unique to the human being. It's what allows us to think about things, to meditate, to understand a whole different level of intelligence. It takes us out of the category of animal and puts us in the realm of human being and that every human being has. And then there is the divine soul, which is unique to the Jewish person. And that is the divine experience of being completely connected with Hashem, understanding and relating to godly ideas and manifesting Torah and mitzvahs in the world. And that is unique to the Jewish person. So yes, the vivifying soul is affected when the body is hurt. But the rational soul is also affected when the body is uncomfortable. If a person is not comfortable, they can't think. They can't start delving deeply into a concept. They can't start doing their bank account balances when they're uncomfortable. They can't do that. So even the rational soul is affected when the body is uncomfortable. And guess who else is affected when the body is uncomfortable? Yes, even the divine soul. If a person is not physically comfortable, it makes it harder for them to do the Torah and mitzvahs that they need to do. So every Jewish person should always be 100% physically comfortable so they have the broadness and capability of keeping Hashem's Torah and mitzvahs in the best way possible. In fact, you know, it says, Uvacharte b'chaim. And you shall choose life. This Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the Jewish people that I've said this all before you today, and you should choose life. And the Talmud Yerushalmi says, This is a job. Choose life, that means get a job. Because a person has to put themselves in a comfortable position so that they're making a living so that their body is free to serve Hashem. If they choose not to seek sustenance, and their body is uncomfortable, and they're putting themselves at a spiritual disadvantage. 
So it is an advantage to our soul when our body is comfortable. But it actually works the other way around as well. Hasidic scholars explain why is it that sometimes when a person is uncomfortable, then they have thoughts of teshuva. Because the divine soul is affected by the body. So we are very different than Hashem. Because Hashem knows everything that's happening in the world and yet he's not affected by it. We, on the other hand, not only is our vivifying soul affected by what's going on with our body, but our rational soul is affected. And so is our divine soul affected by the, what transpires with the body. Aval Kadish Baruchu, Ene Mespal Chas Vashalm, Mim Oireha Ailam Vashinuya, Velay Meha Ailam Atzmai. God, however, is not heaven forbid affected by the events of the world and its changes, nor by the world itself. He's not affected by the existence of the world. The world's creation has not changed Hashem. The prophet Malachi says, Ani Hashem Laishanisi. I Hashem have not changed. This is a principle of our faith. Hashem never changes. You know, when a person becomes a parent, they're not the same anymore. The one has created a second. They're not the same anymore. Hashem has created a world and he remains completely unaffected. Now, we have to stop for a second and clarify that this doesn't mean that Hashem doesn't care about our actions or that it doesn't matter to Hashem. That would be a very scary thought. In fact, our, our actions matter so much to Hashem. What did we learn in chapter 36 in Tanya? That Hashem desired to have an abode in the lowest realms. And in this space, everything that we do, even our thoughts that we have, the intentions that we have, matter to him. He cares more deeply than any human being you know. Nobody cares more than Hashem. And at the same time, he's unaffected. And that sounds crazy. How is that even possible? It's very hard for us to fathom. We can't relate to that. But the analogy that they want to give is of somebody, as it were, who's sitting there with his hand immersed in a tub of boiling water, and yet his soul remains in a calm state as though nothing is happening to him. You know, we... That doesn't make sense. That that can't happen. We don't know how that could happen. It's actually, I've heard people actually do that. Walk on hot coals and pretend that it's cold and your mind is everything. Wow. Our stories. I mean, there is this story. Like it's a crazy thing. Right, but then they don't feel it. But they don't feel it. You're feeling it because your mind is ruling everything. So that's it. They're not feeling it. But Hashem is feeling it and at the same time not affected by it. Here, Hami was giving the example of people who walk on like fiery coals and they put themselves yeah, yeah, in a yeah. mind space that this is doesn't bother them and then they don't feel it. But here we're talking about Hashem feeling it and still remaining unaffected. But their feet are still burnt. That's the funny part. Oh, so their feet are burnt. Actually, yes, so there's burnt. the... the, the I often wondered about that. Because they're getting burned. They're getting they're burned, not feeling, they're not but they're not feeling it. Well, right. there's... The Rebbe told the story of the Majitzer Rebbe who had a, un- a unique gift for music. He would get like lost in music and they had to perform a surgery on him and they couldn't put him under anesthesia. It was too dangerous. He was too frail. And he said, I'm going to start singing and I'm going to get to a certain point. You're going to know that I am already not <laughs> present and then you can do the operation. And that's what he did. He was singing and he was in another world wow. and they were able to operate on him. Right, but the brain and he didn't feel only- it process so much so much at once so if you occupy your brain with something something else can happen and you cannot be affected by it 
You cannot feel it, but maybe be affected by it. Like, for example, when you're so consumed with work, maybe you're starving. You don't feel that you're hungry. The second the work is over, boom, you're hungry. So you've been distracted and you're not feeling it. Hashem is feeling it and remains unaffected. And we cannot understand that. Okay. Shakulam enan payalim shum shino None of them affect any change in him, God forbid, nor in his absolute unity. Just as he was one and unified before he created them, so too does he remain one and unified after their creation. In order to help us understand this well with our intelligence, the scholars of truth, meaning the Kabbalists, have already treated it at length in their books. And an explanation will be found there. However, all Jews... As descendants of the patriarchs who believed in God are believers, descendants of believers without any speculation of mortal intellect whatsoever. And they declare, you are the same before the world was created and so forth. The passage concludes, you are the same since the world has been created. Thus, all Jews firmly believe that the world's creation causes no change in God. So the author is saying like this, this is a deep and intricate subject. It is treated well in the writing of the Kabbalists. So if you want to go and study this and get an understanding of it, you could. It's out there. The Kabbalists have treated this subject well. But in order to come upon that kind of fear of Hashem, understanding that He's watching us and He sees us and He knows everything about us with an inherent knowledge, automatically, we don't need to have a deep understanding of the mechanism because we believe. Jews believe and we know that Hashem is the same after creation as he was before creation. How does that make sense? Very hard to understand. There is an explanation. It's in the writing of the Kabbalists. We could come to understand it. But even if we don't come to understand it, we know it. We know it. We believe it because we're Jews. And Jews just know this. And that's why every single day in our prayers we say, You were the same before creation and after the creation. Nothing changed about you. You are the same. And yet, you know everything. You feel it all and you remain unaffected by it. And the altar then says like this, As has been explained above in chapter 20. In chapter 20, and this is one of my favorite chapters in Tanya, I hope that we're going to do it again sometime soon, Brother Sashem. I think we should. Because the Alta Rebbe has given us an understanding of how creation exists and yet is like nothing compared to Hashem. Now, I'll just give a brief synopsis of it, but we wouldn't fully get it until we actually do the chapter. And that is, what is creation? Creation is simply a word. A word of Hashem. Hashem Shemayim Nasu. By the word of God, heavens were created. Let's look at our own experience of a word. What is one word compared to the power of our articulate soul? Nothing. There's an endless amount of words that our soul can say. It's just because of the limitations of the body that the soul can't speak endlessly. But one word compared to infinity is nothing. And what is that word compared to, and what is that articulate soul compared to our thought. It's nothing. The thought is what powers our speech. 
You can't say a word without having process it in your thought first. And what is your thought compared to the essence of your soul? In the essence of your soul, there's no even words. Like we speak in a language, we count in a language, we communicate in a language, we communicate our thoughts, we communicate our feelings in a language. But do we understand in a language? Do we feel in a language? Are you going to say one person loves in French and the other person loves in English? You're not going to say that. Because the essence of our soul, our intellect, and our emotions are prelingual. They're there even before words. But where did the word come from? You know what? The word actually came from there. The word actually came from the place where we say there are no words. But in that space, it doesn't have an existence. You don't call it an existence. So to take that over to Hashem, where all of creation is a word, does it exist? Yeah, it exists. But then go ahead and trace it back to a place where it's in Hashem's intellect, as it were, in Hashem's midas, as it were. Does it exist there? It doesn't even exist. So that's just a brief synopsis. This, these are concepts that have to be visited deeply in order for us to assimilate them. And the previous Rebbe explains, why does the Alter Rebbe bother mentioning chapter 20 over here? He said, yes, these concepts are treated well in Kabbalah. You want to understand them. There's a way to learn about them, but we believe. And that's enough for us to have this fear of Hashem by being so completely aware that he knows everything that's happening with us. Why does he have to call upon these, this chapter? And the previous Rebbe says that it's because even though we believe, we shouldn't satisfy ourselves with that. We should have an intellectual awareness. As much as we can understand, we should try to understand. Because the more that we understand, the more it pervades our personality and influences us. So we believe. We don't need to understand. But we should try to understand as much as possible because it changes us. So let me summarize what we said until now. And we said that. Hashem's knowledge is an intimate knowledge. It's like the knowledge of our own body. Just like we feel heat and we feel cold without anybody having to tell about, tell us about it, so too Hashem knows everything that transpires in the world because it all comes from Him. However, there's a huge difference. Human beings are affected by what happens to them. Not only is the vivifying soul affected, but even the rational soul is affected and even the divine soul is affected. Hashem, however, remains completely unaffected. Nothing about the world and anything that transpires in it affects Hashem. Even the very existence of the world does not affect Hashem. This is a very deep subject. In order to understand it, we have to work through it deeply and intellectually, and we could. There are works available in Kabbalah that will allow us to visit and explore and come to understand these ideas. But even before we get to understand those ideas, we know it. We know it because we believe it. This is something that's inherent. It's, it's genetic to the Jew. We have it as an inheritance from our patriarchs. We are believers, the sons of believers. We are the believers, the children of believers. We know that Hashem is the same after creation as he was before creation. Creation has wrought no change in Hashem whatsoever. And this is something that the Alter Rebbe discussed in chapter 20. V'hine, kal adam mi Yisrael, yiyya mi she yiyya, kishiyis b'ayin b'zeh shal g'day l'b'chol yoyim. 
Ich sag Kaddish Baruch Hu, Mali Mamish es Halyene Vesatachtainim. Esa Shemayim Vesa Arz Mamish, Malaychal Arz Kivaydi Mamish. Now, therefore, each individual Jew, whoever he may be, meaning whatever his spiritual state, when he ponders upon this for a considerable time each day, how Hashem is truly omnipresent in the higher and lower worlds, and that the actual heaven and earth, meaning not only the spiritual heaven and earth, the supernal he wrote, but the actual heaven and earth itself is truly filled with his glory. So we're thinking about this, and it doesn't matter who we are. It could be somebody of an extremely lowly spiritual stature. Remember earlier in the chapter, we looked at somebody whose soul came from a very low place, not just the lowest of the worlds, the world of Asiya, but his soul was even rooted in the lowest of the sifirot of the world of Asiya. And not just that, but he has sins in his past. So he is a person of low spiritual capabilities. And in chapter 18, the Altar ever referenced the kind of soul that was very low, somebody who has a very limited ability in knowing Hashem. He talked about somebody who's somebody who has only a limited understanding of Hashem's greatness, and he has no heart to comprehend the greatness of the blessed infinite God. So no matter who this person is, a person of a low soul, a person with low capabilities, he doesn't have the mind or heart to know Hashem. When he thinks about this, what is he thinking about? A considerable time each day, and this is not a great exertion, but it's a great commitment. When we were talking about knowing the greatness of Hashem, that required great exertion. We had to, to get the ego, we had to get the ego out of the way. We had to uncover our soul so that it's shining. That required tremendous effort. Here, it doesn't require tremendous effort. It requires commitment. Considerable time each day. What are we going to think about? We're going to think about how Hashem is truly present in the higher and lower worlds. He literally fills the actual heaven and the earth. The author says the word mamish three times here. Actually, 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 really think about it. Hashem literally fills everything about this world. He is completely and totally present. Mamish, mamish. The whole world is filled with his glory. That's what the author says. So that's what we have to think about for a considerable time each day. What else are we thinking about? And that he looks, seeks and searches his kidneys and heart, meaning his inner thoughts and emotions, and all his actions and words, and counts his every step. So we're thinking about Hashem is truly, 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 truly present right here in this physical world, in every which space. He is everywhere. He's in the highest world. He's in the lowest world. He sees and knows every little thing about us. That's what we have to think about. When we think about it, then fear will be implanted in his heart throughout the day, even when he is occupied with other matters and cannot contemplate the above. When he will again meditate on this, even with a superficial, like a casual reflection, that it does not demand a particular effort and set time. So we have to take time each day. What are we doing? We're thinking about Hashem's presence everywhere, that he truly, truly fills everything and that he knows everything. He knows everything about us. It's a commitment. Every single time we have to literally meditate upon that. Once we do that, we have taken that fear that is hidden in the depths of our soul and brought it to the conscious part of our heart. Now it's something we're aware of. We always have it. 
That's something that's our identity. It's who we are. Jewish people have this connection to Hashem. We all have a fear of Hashem. What's the problem? We're not connected to that. But when we think about it, Hashem is truly present. He knows everything. We're pulling it out of that hidden space and bringing it into the conscious part of our heart. Then it doesn't mean that throughout the day we're good to go. It means that suddenly when we need it, we have it. We don't need meditation again. We just have to casually remember what we thought about earlier and boom, we're back to our realization. We remember that Hashem sees and knows everything. At any time or moment, he will thus turn away from evil and do good, meaning he will refrain from transgressing negative commands and perform positive commands in thought, speech, and deed, so as not to rebel, God forbid, in the sight of his glory, whereof the whole world is filled. So we just have this meditation in our back pocket. We devoted time to it in the morning or any time during the day, but I'm saying the morning because that's the best time. Then any time throughout the day when we need it, we need it to give us that energy to do the mitzvah that we were feeling lazy about. We need it to give us the energy to hold ourselves back from something that we shouldn't do. We have it. It's a moment away. We just have to casually recall what we thought about and boom, it's back there because we've already brought it to the conscious part of our heart. This is in accord with the statement of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai to his disciples quoted above, which is, May it be Hashem's will that the fear of heaven be upon you and keep you from sinning like the fear of a human being who by observing your actions keeps you from sinning. So we have it. It can be as real to us as knowing that there's a person watching us. Even if it's just a little kid, you're not going to do something that's embarrassing in front of a child. You're not going to do something when you know you're being observed. We can have that realization that we're being observed. And by making it a commitment every single day to think about it and realize that Hashem fills every which space and he is intimately aware of every single one of our actions, then throughout the day, whenever we need that energy, we just have to reflect casually upon what we've already established in our hearts in that morning. Like Rabbi Nechan and Mazaka said to students, may it be the will of Hashem that your fear of heaven be like fear of man. And the students were like, that's it? And he said, oh yeah, you should know that when someone sins, they say, I hope no one sees me. At least have that level of fear. This then is the meaning of the verse. God demands of you only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways. This is a different kind of fear. It's not the kind of fear that's all pervasive that gives us that awareness of Hashem's greatness. It's the simple kind of fear that gets you to do the right thing. That kind of fear we can have in our back pocket all day. If we've committed ourselves in the morning to really think about the fact that Hashem is everywhere. He's in the higher world. He's in the lower world. He literally fills this entire world and he knows and sees all of our actions and everything that we do. He knows then throughout the day, whenever we need that extra boost of energy, we just have to reflect casually upon it. And suddenly we have at least that basic level of fear of knowing that we're in the presence of another human being. That's it. It's just that kind of fear that gets us to walk in all his ways. And to be continued next time, which as Ratashem is after Pesach. And you know what? Pesach is, is the... Yeah, it's around the corner, and it, this is we're entering Chodesh Hagula, the month of redemption. So, our next class will be 
out of a true awareness because we will already have experienced it with the coming of Mashiach, all those things that we're talking about and we're like, oh yeah, breaking through that barrier of, com- barrier of coming to know Hashem. What did the al Rebbe say earlier in this chapter? He said, Concerning the future Messianic era, it is written, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, no God, for they shall all know me. So we're going to all be knowing Hashem. I'm so excited about that experience, that true breakthrough realization of bridging heaven and earth. There's that like gap and we're trying so hard to break that, break that barrier, you know, getting to know Hashem and meditating and making it real that there's nothing else besides him. So maybe finally experience that with the coming of Mashiach right now. Thank you.